Hello. Uh, welcome back to the SCP podcast, yeah. uh, Secure Contained podcast, with Dave and not Dave. I'm here today again. Is here. Everything's Thorne happening all of the time, and I don't have the energy to deal with it most of the time. So I just end up not being able <laughs> to do anything because I have other things that are more important. But I'm here today. I, oh, I'm not. A, I'm not as important to you anymore. That's no. It's more like college stuff is more important than podcast stuff. Damn, when right, it's got I a, see, it's got a deadline. Right. No, we've got a, we have a system Stumped for up, the. Anyway, today we're continuing. <laughs> Hopefully finishing. Hopefully, uh, fin- there's not that much. We have like there's only. A... There's like four. One, two, seven. three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven left. I said four. That's half of that. All right, we we probably can, but we should get moving. Um, so one of them's going to be pick- extremely long, and you already know it because we've said that. Yeah, um, we're we're picking back up on number seventeen, which is empty, unmarked grave. I gave Soren a very basic rundown of what happened last yeah, time. Yeah, because as I mentioned, everything um, happens all the time, and I didn't have time to catch up. So. We will see how well you comprehend what's going on. Not very. I don't even comprehend it, and I know what happened. So, we, we'll we see how this goes. Um, Someone's I, dead, I can, I can uh, presume, from the title. Uh, Yeah, I think so. You're, we're on the same one, right? Empty on my yep. grave? Like email thing? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I will, uh, I'll start this one off, and then we can just alternate after that. Too. Okay. All right, so empty unmarked grave. Uh, run fmc.exe dash t or slash yeah dash t. Foundation mail client text only mode. Check box. You have one new message. You have five thousand seven hundred thirty nine old messages. Read message new. Reading all new messages. One new message found. From the administrator two o five primary reroute address. CC senior staff primary reroute address. Date field empty. Subject now cracks a noble heart. Content. Over my many years as administrator of the foundation, I found the job progressively less taxing. My responsibilities grew at first, but with my institution of the O5 Council, my job was functionally reduced to an optional veto on high-level veto- high votes. I have not used my veto power in the history of the foundation. This speaks volumes of the competence of the elected personnel. As I have grown older, my ability to continue my duties to the foundation as a whole has drastically deteriorated. My position does not continue to have any significance, or indeed, relevance to this organization. As such, effective immediately, I am stepping down from my role with no incumbent to with knowing yeah incumbent to take my place. This will likely change nothing of your day-to-day operations, and I hope you will continue on with your work as normal. Friends and colleagues, I leave the fate of the world in your capable hands. Thank you for your service, the administrator. You have not accessed this terminal in ten minutes. Do you require assistance? Log off. Does the Black Moon howl? Log off. Override base command. Star one dash zero 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 one. Good night, sweet prince, and flights of angels. Sing thee to thy rest. There's a little break. Jeremy was a corgi of simple tastes. Oh, did you want to read that? I was thinking that we would switch at the breaks, because that seems to be where switches happen. Unless you want to do the whole story. Yeah, I could, I could just do the whole thing, and then alternate sure. between that. Yeah. We alternate on a All right, story. So Jeremy was... But go. <laughs> I'm... Go. <laughs> okay. Jeremy was a corgi of simple tastes. After having, after having been gloriously liberated from his previous owner, Her Royal Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Jeremy's job had been to collect the mail. His brothers Jeremy, 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 and Jeremy, and all had substantially more exciting jobs, such as ice cream retrieval or orbital space station design. But he didn't mind. Jeremy liked collecting the mail anyways. 
And he did it, and he, as he did every day, Jeremy brought the mail to his benevolent owner, Dr. Isabel Helga Anastasia Parvati Wondertainment V, Ph.D. Isabel had been spending her morning being astonishingly productive. She had been spinning in circles with her arms out while whistling for almost four hours straight. Jeremy dropped his mouthful of paper in front of her and gave a helpful, positive wolf. There's a little letter. Dearest Isabel, I hope this letter finds you well. As you know, your mother and I have been hard at work on our own private projects. Your position as lead toy designer has been filled extraordinarily well. Sales have been up across the board. Unfortunately, I have found myself particularly predisposed by current arrangements, that being, that being the event of my demise. <laughs> Don't be sad about this. I was getting rather bored anyways. Out with the old, in with the new. That being said, I will no longer be keeping the position of key creative di director and big boss man, again, because I am dead. Hence, I am elevating you to the position of key creative director and big boss man, crossed out, lady. Congratulations. I trust you will live up to the role as only my daughter can. I've always been proud of you. Dr. Reginald, Dr. Reginald Filbert Lionel Archibald Westinghouse Wondertainment III, MD, PhD, DDS, Esquire. P.S. Your mother sends her best regards. Jeremy looked at his owner expectantly, anticipating a pat on the head for expedience and a job well done. Isabel sat on the floor and read the letter, her grin slowly turning to a look of deep and profound confusion, then unspeakable sadness, with tears dripping down her cheeks, then excitement and elation. She reached over to Jeremy, flipped him upside down, and rubbed his belly as he rolled around in bliss. Tears continued to stream down her face as she laughed happily. She shouted out towards the corridor, Jeremy and Jeremy, I need some celebratory ice cream. Stat! Isabel turned to the large, mustachioed painting of her father on the wall, wiping the tears from her, from her cheeks. Bye, Dad. There's another break there. Lars Sellerant, the dean of... Oh, my God. Alexei... That's Alex one of the Silva? groups of interest. That's one of the, like... That's the school that doesn't isn't real, and they keep finding things that say they're from the school, I think. Interesting. So the dean of Lex Silva, um, that's just going to be how I pronounce it, whether or not it's right, interpretive dance department, was returning to his office after the delicious breakfast of cheese that tasted like celery. Upon arrival, he noticed a small letter slipped halfway underneath his door. Lars leant down and picked it up. The red wax seal still warm to the touch. He tore it open with his fingers and slipped the letter out, out into his hands. The cursive was curly to an almost unreadable degree, but Lars was able to make out the meaning behind the words. To my colleagues, I regret to inform you that, effective this morning, I am tendering my resignation as Chancellor of Alex Silva University. As many of you know, I have been serving as Chancellor in, in absentia more and more as of late. With the event of my death last night, <laughs> I am left with two options. Resign, or serve in absentia in indefinitely. Seeing as my time will now be heavily invested in no longer existing, my resignation is the more responsible path. In accordance with official university policy, my successor will be elected this afternoon by popular vote. Please act responsibly until that time. Murdering your peers beforehand, while not technically against any rules, goes against the spirit of the election. Similarly, negating the event on their birth should be looked down upon, though substantially less so. Thank you for allowing me to serve you all as chancellor over the past few years. I wish you all the best of luck with your future endeavors. Gratefully yours, Chancellor Westinghouse. Lars fetched his formal attire, bulletproof vest, and sniper rifle. A new chancellor had to be elected, and with any luck, it was going to be him. There's another break. James Sidon entered the tiny church. He had driven for five long hours, twisting and turning his way through the mountains, leaf-covered roads, leaning dangerously towards tipping his car off the side of a cliff. And here he was, not a human being for miles around. Which it was odd, because he was supposed to be meeting a local Roman Catholic priest. James looked at the solid hardwood door. The lock was heavy and thick. James pulled out a pick gun and, pick gun and had it open within seconds. The church was clearly long abandoned, dust covered the rotting wooden seats. Every step James took on the stone floor echoed as though he were in, much lar in a much lar larger space. 
He walked towards the stand at the front, then noticed a clean white envelope sitting on it, tied shut with thick red ribbon. James pulled the bow apart, opened the envelope, and began to read the letter inside. Mr. Sudon, well done on finding your way here. I apologize for the remote location, but it was necessary to isolate you. I have selected you to become be, to be my successor in the field of religious artifact research. Congratulations. Should you not desire this job, feel free to report this location to your superiors. I imagine they would reward you well, storing decades of my notes and research in the process. But, of course, then you wouldn't be able to look at my collection for yourself, and I think we can both agree that you wouldn't do that. James, you are one of the few people who ask the right questions of the right people. Unfortunately, the wrong people have taken notice. You need to go to ground, and trust me, there is nowhere safer than here. Should you wish to continue, enter the confession booth and loudly proclaim, proclaim I am free of sin, you will know what to do from there. Yours in the Lord, Reverend Lionel Philbert. James read the page curiously. He looked up and noticed a small confession booth to the side. He walked to it and opened the door. James then pulled out various tools, scraping samples from the side of the box, the ground, the dust between the stones, and investigated them avidly. Satisfied, he entered, sitting huddled inside the box. He reread the letter, reassured himself, then shouted the words to the booth on the other side. I am free of sin. There's another page. Eric Burke walked into his office. With the unannounced disappearance of the previous acting director of the Global Occult Coalition, it was necessary to elect a temporary stand-in. Burke had been moved up two levels of hierarchy, since all the predecessors and media juniors had turned down the temporary position, preferring to maintain control over their various departments. Burke had leaped at the opportunity, applied, and after a single day, he was given the job. He considered it unusual, but considering the way that the GOC operated, it was well within his weirdness parameters. He was shown to his, temporary, office by a secretary, who soon left the room to fetch him a cup of coffee. Burke noticed a folded sheet of paper on the top of the desk. He unfolded it and began to read. To my successor, you likely believe you have been elected as a temporary substitute. However, my notice of resignation can be found in the top drawer of this desk. Let me be the first to congratulate you. Consider yourself the new acting director. You have been briefed by others on what the role entails, standard administrative tasks, and so forth. I trust that they have done their job and that you now know yours. However, there is one matter which they have not been briefed on. Do not inform anyone of what I'm about to tell you. You will likely never meet your immediate superior, Madame Alphine. Mad Madame Alphine. Without going into details, you should not want to. You will likely receive weekly letters from Madame, Madame Alphine. Without going into details, you should not open these. Burn them immediately upon receipt. Do not open them. Do not tell anyone you are doing this. If anyone asks, all of your actions are in accordance to her dictates. Do not seek out Madame Alphine. I trust you have been a member of this organization long enough to understand that some orders should not be questioned. This is one such order. Please dispose of this letter as expediently, untraceably, and permanently as possible. I wish you the best of luck with your new position. Sergeant Reginald Ulysses Law, Acting Director, United Nations Global Occult Coalition. The secretary entered the room with a tall mug of dark brown coffee, placed it on Burke's, no longer temporary, desk, then left. Burke tore the paper to shreds as soon as she left the room, threw them into his coffee, stirred them twice with his finger, and downed the hot beverage in three gulps. Nothing's properly disposed of until it's been through the digestive system, he thought. There's another break. Bijou Dashwood heard a letter slide through the slider door. She had thought that the Sonosai would have postponed the mail. Then she realized that the mail had come yesterday. Confused, Bijou left the kitchen, walked to the front door, tore the envelope open, then pulled out a folded letter and a small metal needle from inside. She read the letter, face slowly hardening, then scrutched it up into a ball. Bijou returned to her living room and threw the letter into the crackling fireplace. She slouched into a large armchair, fire warming her feet as the edges of the paper glowed, then turned back and crumbled into ashes. This is the letter, I guess. To the recipient of, the, of this letter, I apologize in advance. This was sent by an automated system. I don't know you, and you don't know me. Welcome to the Chaos Insurgency. You're the boss now. You might be thinking, how the hell did I get this job? I didn't apply for it. 
you know, almost certainly hate the insurgency as much as I do. That's why I became the boss, to rein them in. I sabotaged them from the top down for years. They never noticed. These are people in, there are people in this world who are completely, profoundly selfish. Some of these people are in the position to do serious harm to society at large. The insurgency is a collection of the worst people with the greatest potential. You have likely been directly affected by the actions of the insurgency. You likely have done research of your own to oppose them. You almost certainly wish to abolish them from existence. But it is vital that you do not shatter the insurgency apart. The key purpose of the insurgency is keeping these people unified and controlled. Further reductions into factions could result in a war that could tear the world apart. The insurgency requires a leader who can continue its stagnation as best as possible in a covert manner. My system has chosen you. If you consent to this, please insert the enclosed needle into your left eye. You will understand more afterwards. It won't hurt, I promise. I regret putting you in this position, but anticipate you shall rise to the occasion. Archibald Miram. Buju looked at the needle in her right hand. It sounded like nonsense, but she could feel something inside of the point calling out to her. She held her left eyelids apart with her left hand, moved the needle to the surface of her eyeball, and thrust it deep into her pupil. Biju clenched her jaw. It was not painless, but it was worth it. There's another break. The Mana Charitable Foundation received an anonymous $5 million donation. Marshall, Carter, and Dark discovered $5 million had disappeared from their coffers. Another break. The janitor noticed a buzzing in its pocket as it escaped from the chaos far below. Sender. Critic reroute number. SMS content. Hard drive 16. File, info hazard, images. Password, string of numbers, and letters. The instructions are in there. You will know what to do. I love you. Thank you, and farewell. The janitor did not read the message until the following morning. And then there's the final break. Ruiz Duchamp woke up staring at an intriguing installation piece. The piece itself is composed of several hundred mobile phones, all taped speaker to microphone in a long, snake-like weave. Blech. Ruiz wasn't quite sure when he'd have gone to sleep. After the critic had died, he felt somewhat detached. He felt cheated of his prize. Ruiz groggily slapped himself in the face, trying to reduce some semblance of coherence within his noggin. It wasn't working. Ruiz p- walked past the reception, out the door, three doors down the street, entered his favorite coffee shop, and asked for a double-strength espresso, which he then used to down his daily caffeine pills, multivitamins, and antidepressants. And then, Ruiz finally woke up. Then he remembered that there was a dead body still standing in the middle of his exhibition room. Shit. Carol, hold on to this. Ruiz placed his coffee into the hand of the confounded barista, sprinting back to Wowee, and then took a look at the body that was once nobody. At least it had been a clean shot, were it not for the circular hole in the center of his forehead, the dried blood that had run down his cheeks, or the teeth that had broken from sudden impact, or the smell of his body beginning to decompose, or his extremely disheveled suit with his customary gray fedora, also punctured, dropped beside the seat with burn marks and blood at the point of impact. You could almost think he was still alive. Ruiz threw a blanket over him and started walking back to the coffee shop. The first, of, the first of first is death, the first of second is before, the first of third is after, bound by the bard. So that was so, that one. <laughs> is, is this implying that nobody was the head of all these organizations, and now not? I guess. I'm, I don't know. I, all of that seemed like it happened right From after. one thing. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, um, halfway, th- I, I think... I I'm, I feel like I might be completely wrong, but all those people that died um, may have been the corpses that were in the Snippers pile hmm. because all the bodies that were in that pile were like, un- <coughs> un- it was just a bunch of dead people. Ah. Um, so that that's where my head was. I kind of like that know... interpretation of nobody, though. Like, is in charge of all of them, still is a single guy, yeah. and has all these automated systems set up to mm-hmm. 
basically inform just, people of his death. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. So that's that's pretty cool. Who knows? One of the two. Anyway, next is Detained. It's a long one. Oh, no. <laughs> Fuck it. Christ. Well, there's right, there's another little take this one thing away. at the bottom of this one. Yeah, so they, they all have that. Uh, one of the ones that you missed from last episode, um, which was uh, Yes, which was um, Intermission 2, uh, these are all voices from, like, one person. Those little uh, bolded bits at the person. bottom? Yeah, so you see how... Um, if you scroll down to the bottom of it, uh, you see how one of them is all lowercase, one of them, the first letter is uppercase, one of them, the first letter of every word is uppercase, and one of them is all caps. I see. Those are four different personalities of one person. I see. So they're all, they're all like different voices. I see. All right. So they've, they've kind of been like commentating on everything as it occurs. Time. Which is interesting. Yes. It's us. <laughs> yeah. Agent Green. You know weird fucked up way <laughs> yes true agent green walked down the street a styrofoam cup of tea in one hand and a glowing cigarette in the other endless crowds of people float around him occasionally bumping his arms or legs green moved to the right turned down a secluded alleyway go straight go straight turn left turn straight turn right turn right turn left turn straight turn left agent green found himself in front of safe house 53 safe house 53 from the outside appeared to be an abandoned tailor shop the storefront window showed a small room dust coating mannequins wearing wearing antiquated dresses and suits. Green sipped his tea and walked to the wooden door, rapping on it and hearing his impact echo. He heard a shout from inside, gradually louder footsteps, and then Agent Tangerine swung the door open from the inside. Tangerine was standing two steps down, wearing a blue and orange Hawaiian shirt. The door did not, in fact, lead into the abandoned tailor shop, but into a basement level below. You gotta give up the smoke, Green. Nothing keeps you warmer, and let's face it, something else is gonna kill me before these do. Tangerine shrugged half-heartedly, walking back down the stairwell. Green downed his last of his tea, threw the cup to the ground outside, clenched his cigarette in his jaw, and then walked down just behind. How long have you been here? Got here about ten minutes ago. They wiped you too? Yep, I've got nothing after the horn went off. Same here. On the downside, no idea what happened last night. Upside, whatever it was, we grabbed some artists to talk to. How many? Eight all up, but three of them I know. You can take the other five. Sounds good? Standard truth serums? You good? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was water drinking noises. some water. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately not. We're all out of Class B hypnotics here. I'm pulling some more this afternoon. Back to the classics until then? Yep. Just like old times. Tangerine reached the edge of the steps, leading Green into a dimly, dimly lit, steel-lined room. A computer and printer sat in a far corner. A small gun cabinet stood to the left, and a door on the right led into a row of holding cells. Tangerine sat down at the computer, tapped some keys, and started printing off the first file. First up, the builder. Part of the critic slot. He was the one making that big white marble thing. Do we know why? Tangerine shuffled the paper into a manila folder, passing it to Green, who leafed through the contents briefly. You ask him. He's in cell three. Restrained? Tangerine slapped his head mockingly. No, I completely forgot to do that. Of course he's restrained. Go get him. Green shook his head dismissively, entering the corridor of cells. One... Two, three. Green pulled his ID card from his pocket, swiped it through the reader, and heard the buzz and click of the opening electronic lock. He opened the door and walked through. A short, brown-haired man sat with every limb chained to the steel seat beneath him. He was snoring softly, head hanging limp against his chest. Green slammed the door shut as loudly as he could, waking the builder with a start. Ah! Name. Now. Bob. Bob Hudson. 
Who the fu fuck? God damn it, you weren't supposed to know that. Agent Green took out a pen and wrote Bob Utson on the cover of the Manila folder, then sat in the seat opposite the builder. Green placed a folder on his desk, plucked a cigarette from his mouth, and exhaled deeply into the builder's face. <sighs> who sputtered at the unexpected wave of smoke. Green grinned. It was cliche, but breathing into someone's face was effective. He was utterly dominating this little artist. Nice to meet you, Bob. Oh, fuck you. I'm not saying shit. Oh, I think you will. Just breathe hypnotics into your face. The builder blanched. He had bought the lie. Fuck, man, I got rights. Heh. <laughs> no, Bob, no, you don't. You don't have any rights. You don't get a call or a lawyer or any of that. If I want to, I can leave you here to rot until the day you die and nobody will come to save you. You don't exist. You get me? The builder remained silent. Now, Bob, the last thing you remember is a big honking sound, right? The builder remained silent, the size of his mouth betraying his fear. Bob, listen. You can tell me this now or we can just wait until the muscle relaxing kicks in. But if we wait until then, maybe your body goes limp, or your jaw goes numb, or you bite your tongue off. Then I'll have to listen to you talk while blood's pouring out of your mouth. I might mishear you. It just makes it awkward. I'll get it out of you sooner or later so you can save yourself the trouble. Maybe save some dignity, too, if you just answer my questions now. Got it? The builder remained silent, motionless for a few seconds. Then nodded wordlessly. Green internally celebrated his triumphs. The waves of bravado and bullshitting had worked faster than he expected. Excellent. Question number one. Big marble building last night. Why? Artistic domination. Contain the other artist's pieces in a makeshift museum of my own dis uh, design. We've destroyed your piece. Is it anomalous in any other way? The builder sneered at the demolition of his work, but contained his anger. It shouldn't be. No, it's harmless. Fantastic. Next up, current location of the critic. No idea. He messages us when there's a meeting. You could give me my phone. I could. Agent Green scowled at the builder. Don't play games with me, Bob. The builder remained silent. Next question. Who's the sniffer? Oh, that nut job. No idea what his name is. Got a body horror fetish or something. Don't, doesn't do much for me, but hell, whatever gets his rocks off is his business. Where is he? No fucking clue. Wasn't going to be turning up last night. Alright, last question for now. What do you know about Ruiz de Champ? The builder scoffed. He's a fucking hack. Mailed me a bunch of, mailed a bunch of us some stupid bullshit. Really annoyed Tim, the sculptor, I mean. Location? If we knew that, he'd be dead. S Green stood up and walked to the door. So, hey, Agent Guy, when do I get out of here? Green slid his ID through the slot, a beep releasing the lock. Hey, hey, Agent Guy, I'm talking to- Green closed the door behind him, blocking all sound from behind. Joey Tamlin awoke to find he had been chained to a metal chair. Fuck. He attempted to move himself. The chair was screwed to the floor. Fuck. He attempted to lose the chains. Each time he thought he was free, they pulled into his flesh even more. Fuck. Joey stopped and looked at the opening door, noticing a familiar Hawaiian shirt. Agent Tangerine sat down opposite Joey, his face utterly neutral. Hey, Tan. Agent Tangerine remained silent. You want to help me out of these? Agent Tangerine remained silent. Come on, man, don't be a dick about it. You're a man in black, that's fine. Wasn't expecting it, but it's okay. I know how it works. You'll give me a few questions, I'll give you a few answers, and a quick little pinprick, and I forget this ever happened. I'm not in any position to do anything about it. Ask me your questions, we can both get out of here, and you and I can get back to making shitty art. You're with them, and I get that, and that's fine, okay. But Tane, you're with us, too. You make good stuff. You make stuff that looks good. You make stuff that makes people think. You're cool. You're one of us, Tan. You're part of our family no matter what, okay? We're brothers, man. Joey couldn't stop himself from shedding some tears. He felt a little betrayed, but that didn't matter. He just needed to loosen his bindings a little more, get on Tangerine's good side, just figure out some way to... 
This is the eighteenth time you've given me that spiel. Joey looked up, confused. The tangerine looked straight ahead, devoid of all emotion. You always tell it the exact same way. First time you know what I did? Stupid, naive, trusting young me. I untied you, we talked, and then you tried to beat me up. It didn't work, of course. I'm a trained agent, you're just an artist. I subdued you that time, then we wiped you, and you went back, and everything was back to normal. Then, later, you found a message in my phone that you shouldn't have. We pulled you in. You gave the same speech. That time, I didn't release you. We had a discussion, but then you somehow loosened the chains, and just as I was leaving, you tried to grab me from behind. I already fought you once. You didn't remember the first time, so I had even more of an advantage. That was the second time. After that, we tightened the chains, and you didn't get out again. Third was after you and Overgang shot up some info-hazardous fireworks. Fourth was when you started organizing a raid on a foundation site, so we put a stop to that. The fifth was... Oh, I don't even remember. You've been in and out of here so many times, we ought to install a revolving door. Joey struggled against his restraints. You stupid f- The seventeenth time was when your sister died. Joey stopped. I don't have a sister. Tangerine stared intensely down at his legs, no longer able to keep an eye contact with Joey. Jesse Tamlin, three years younger than you, apple of your eye, loved her more than you loved herself. Beautiful, fun, bright in the day of anyone she met. You come along to exhibition, see sit, see sit with all of us and hang out. She was living with you, even, before Molly moved in with you. And she did something incredibly, incredibly stupid. She was working on something for you. Something to say thanks for always being there. And she messed up. Couldn't exploit the way that you can, Joey. She couldn't concentrate right. She lost the control of the thing, and whatever it was, it made a bit hell of a bang. Best guess was she was making fireworks. Tangerine dropped tears into his lap. She died, Joey. Jesse died, and you weren't the same. You started drinking all the time, you do LSD with every meal, you buried yourself in the most complete escapism you could. Then you tried to kill yourself, and I realized you weren't going to get any better. But you're right, Joey. I'm with the men in black, but no matter what, we're family. We're closest brothers. We're friends. I asked you, dazed and drugged as you were, why you were doing all of it. You said you were doing it to forget. You needed to forget. Tangerine looked up, face still as neutral as he could keep it, tears still pulling, pouring down his cheeks. Joey noticed his own eyes had begun to link, leak. So I helped. Agent Green waited outside the cell as Tangerine left, still wiping the tears from his eyes. Green patted the back of his longtime friend. Don't worry. By the time we're done, he won't remember any of it. He said he forgives me. That's right, Tan. That's good, Tan. That's good. Hell, I saw you drag him in last time. You'd be dead if you hadn't done it. You did the right thing. Still, I'm fraternizing with the enemy. Fraternize long enough. They're not your enemies anymore. Nothing on DeChamp, or this snipper guy? Ah, he knew as much as I did. That's fine. We had to make sure anyway. Go on, Tan. I've got the next two. Already got their files here. Tangerine looked at Green, frowning. Wait, you're not gonna... Hey. We can't afford to wait until we get those drugs in. What these guys might know might be useless in a few hours' time. Might as well go two for one. Already put them in the same room. Keep an eye on the cameras for me, right? Right. Agent Green walked down the corridor as Tangerine returned to the main room. Six, seven, eight. Green pulled his ID card from his pocket, swiped it to the reader, and heard the buzz and click of an open electronic lock. He opened the door and walked through. The two girls in the room sat strapped to their seats facing the door. Green let it slowly close behind himself. Both of them were sternly staring at him. Ladies? Green took the wooden seat across from them, placing their files onto the table. First question. What are your names? The girls continued to stare, lips closed tightly. Really, I only ask that as a courtesy. Your names are, as we all know, Annie Klein and Candace Brahms. You play in the band Funari Tisk Tick Horror Fiasco. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that first word correctly. You have no idea what it means. Just another reference I'm not getting, I suppose. 
they remain silent. Next question. Did you create these duplicates of yourselves? Let them go. Candace leaned over to Annie, frowning at the outburst. Her own lips remained closed. We can't let them go. You have to. Allow me to clarify. You can't let them go because we don't have them detained. We're not certain where they are. No. Good. Annie looked at Candace while grinning, then realized what she had done. Annie shut her mouth as her face turned to bright red. Ladies, we're willing to let a lot of things slide. Honestly, having weird copies of yourself running around is the least of our worries. Don't make loads of them, keep it to yourself, pretend you're twins or something, and we aren't going to have any problems. So, were you the ones who made them? They remained silent. Green massaged his temples, feigning exasperation. He had them exactly where he wanted them. The outburst had proven they had compassion. Compassion can be used. Compassionate people can be reasoned with. Green had his battle plan. Listen, ladies, we need to get something straight. You likely heard a lot of stories about the man and what we'll do to, if we catch you. Most of the stories are nonsense, intended to make artists like you hate us all the more. We're going to let you go, ladies. While you're part of a problem, neither of you have done anything that goes especially against our agenda. You're reasonably underground, to use your jargon. You're quiet about all the things you do. You maintain some semblance of normalcy, and really, that's all we give a damn about. Hell, if our, all artists were like you, I'd have no problem at all. But they're not. You might not remember what happened, but a lot of people died last night because of the actions of some so-called artists. Now, you don't particularly strike me as uncaring monsters. Some of the people who died might have been your friends, your family, I don't know. They were someone's family, and they were someone's friends. Green paused for effect. Annie's expression had softened considerably, and Candace's face, while still stoic, was no longer a frown. Green felt a wave of triumph. They were putty in his hand. Now, we're in a position to stop these people before they hurt anyone else. We have people who can take care of it, but we need to know where they are, what they're doing, and where they're going. Anything you can tell us is useful, okay? Okay. The both of them said the word in unison. Green had won. Okay. Cutting to the chase, I've got really two really important questions for you, alright? First question. Do you know the guy called the Sniffer? Candace looked at Annie, who was pulling a face of confusion, then answered. Never heard of him. If he's got a the at the beginning of the name, he's beginning. he's probably with the critics lot. Alright, pretty much confirms what we already knew, but everything is useful. Second question. Do you know anyone named Ruiz de Champ? Candace shook her head, but Annie's face lit up with a spark of recognition. Oh, I do, yeah. He came to one of our concerts once. He was really nice. He invited me to an exhibition he was holding. Can you tell me anything about that exhibition? It was just moving dioramas. Pretty simple. He was acting as if they were amazing. But it was kind of weird. It was in an art gallery. Art in an art gallery is weird? It is for most of us. The whole point is like breaking out of the system, you know? Not putting stuff on the wall for people to see. It was kind of odd. Green, Agent Green took a note down his papers. Search art galleries. That's very useful. Thanks very much, ladies. Sorry about chaining you to chairs. Chair. Sorry about chaining you to chairs and everything. <laughs> Candace remained silent. Annie grinned back at him. No, it's fine. I'm actually kind of into it. Green brushed, blushed slightly as he made his way out of the room. The next name is the best. Overgang Dude okay. awoke to Dude. find he had been chained to a metal chair. Wait a minute. Fuck. He attempted to move himself. The chair. Wait a minute. The chair was screwed to the floor. Fuck. He attempted to loosen the chairs. Each time he thought he was free, they pulled him to his flesh even more. Bah. Overgang stopped and looked at the opening door, noticing a familiar Hawaiian shirt. Agent Tangerine sat, sat down opposite Overgang, his face utterly neutral. Fuck. I did not see that coming. You didn't see that the last time either. Damn, Tan, how many times have I been in there? This makes six. Shit, what did I do the other times? All sorts of stuff, mostly minor. Just remind me, what did I do this time? Tangerine sighed. I'm not clear to know, actually, and it's been wiped from all our minds. Downside of working for the man. But I think you helped. That's good, at least. Hey, it's gonna still take long. I was gonna meet a girl, you know, plans and so forth. 
He'll be out as soon as we get Amnestics in. Probably this afternoon. Alright, cool. You're taking this calmly. Overgang shrugged. It's just the way it is. I get that it's nothing personal. It's your job. Whatever. But we're still friends. I know I'm in good hands, Tan. I trust you. Tangerine's stomach crawled with guilt. Agent Green was waiting again, outside of Tangerine's door. Nothing. Nothing. But like I said, wasn't expecting anything. I know as much as they do. Alright, back on cameras. The painter's up next. Got it. Agent Green walked down the corridor as Tangerine returned to the main room. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. Green pulled his ID card from his pocket and swiped it through the reader and heard the buzz and click of the opening electronic lock. The painter sat and stared at the door. About bloody time. <laughs> I'm not doing that. About bloody... <laughs> you went full force. I did, and then I was like, no. About bloody time. I've been sitting here for a fucking age. Ask me the questions and kick me out of here, bitch. Agent Green formulated a plan immediately, and that plan composed of punching the painter in the face until he learned some respect. He took that urge and repressed it, then wondering why he was repressing it. His subject was a pampered, impatient, spoiled artist. He'd likely be very receptive to physical assault. Time to put the pain back in painter. Green pulled his fist back and drove it sharply into the side of the painter's jaw. The painter jerked in his restraints, unable to defend himself. He shook his head, then spat out a dislodged tooth, face contorted in incredulous anger. Did you just fucking punch me? Shut up, or I'll do it again. You fucking... The green relished the feeling of his knuckles against the painter's jaw. He spat out another tooth, then adopted the appearance of a scolded puppy. If a scolded puppy had been punched in the face twice and looked like a person. <laughs> Shut up. The painter whimpered. Green raised his fist again, enjoying the response of further discomfort. Two questions. Question number one. What do you know about, a, about the sniffer? He's a fucking lunatic. No more than that. The painter spat out a math, mouthful of blood. Two. What do you know about Ruiz de Champ? Fucking asshole. Deserves what's coming to him. Do you know where either of them are or might be? I don't know. I don't know. Green raises his. I don't know. I swear. I don't know shit. The painter spluttered blood all over the table. Green turned around to leave. Yeah, you walk away, bitch. Green turned in a fluid motion, whacked his head against the side of the painter's skull, and left him hanging limp in restraints. Melanoma on the arsehole of existence awoke to find she had been chained to a metal chair. Fuck. She attempted to move herself. This chair was screwed into the floor. Fuck, bitch, fucking, fuck, bitching, cunt laser, fuck. She attempted to loosen the chains. Each time she thought she was tree, they pulled into her flesh even more. It's just a bunch more swear words. Um. No, by all means, no. read it. Asshole sword. Cock suck your bitch tits, whore, cut fuck your granny bag, you fuck fuck, titty slut, and anus parade assholes. She, oh my she God. stopped and looked up at the opening door, noticing a familiar Hawaiian shirt. Fucking fuck, cunt bitch, and crack sniffing dog fucking man whore, you snake screwing, Sarah Spillick sculling, scarab sucking son of a seahorse. Fuck you, fuck you, you cunt stabbing tiny dick cisgendered automobile fucking bitch looking shit eating piss guzzling cloak. Agent Tangerine closed the door without entering. <laughs> oh, I God. appreciate cisgendered being in there. That's, That's funny. That, that was a nice, nice touch. You didn't even go in that time. We're getting nothing out of her until she's sedated. Trust me. All right, you'd know better than I would. Last one, then. Last one. All yours. Agent Green walked down the corridors. Tangerine returned to the main room. Twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. Green pulled his ID card from his pocket, swiped it to the reader, and heard the buzz and click of the opening electronic lock. Rita Summers sat chained to the chair, her long black dress dangling over the chains. She was avidly staring at her into her lap. Green moved and sat down across from her. Miss Rita Summers, that's me. I'd like you to. A I'd like to ask you some questions. I'd not like to answer them. Rita stare continued staring into her lap. Green tapped his fingers impatiently on the table. 
Miss Summers, I've read your file. Two years until you were finished school, perfect scores on every test. You're smart. Hell, under different circumstances, we'd be offering you a job. I'd not accept it. Why not? Because, Agent Green, I don't care for what you do. I'd not do it out of misguided obligation. And whatever you pay me is below my pay grade. Green realized she knew his, she knew his name. She must have caught a glimpse of his idea as he come in. Green knew how to deal with geniuses with the whole unfettered thing going. Physical threats could help, but Jean didn't want to punch a schoolgirl. He feigned shock. How'd you know my name? Rita looked up from her skirt, sneering condescendingly. It was on your ID, idiot. Green, continuing the charade, moved uncomfortably in his seat, brushing an errant itch on his neck. <laughs> well, very observant of you, Miss Summers. Now I'm hoping you might reconsider answering some questions for me. People could be in a lot of danger if you don't. Why should I care? You should care, Miss Summers, because you are a subset of people. Oh, I'm so scared. Go ahead and torture me. Do whatever. No, Miss Summers, there's no need for that. How would you like to wake up and have forgotten how to add, or spell, or tie your shoes? Yeah, that's great. Threats, yeah, that'll work. No, Agent Green, I don't think you're in any position to be making threats. You're tied to a chair, Miss Summers. My threats can be backed up with... Agent Green felt his throat tighten. He scratched his neck, feeling a growing bump. What? You... Agent Green, you've officially lost control of the situation. Same thing's happening out there to your comrade, Agent Tangerine. Agent Green swore under his breath. He reached for his gun, then his arm stopped moving. He tried to stand, but his muscle did nothing. She wasn't just any artist, she could be a reality bunter. Something had been missed. His mind buzzed with hypotheticals and escape plans. Rita stood up, chains clinking loosely to the ground. Three words, Agent Green. Invisible, trained, spiders. You've been injected with a paralytic. Should be able to move in a few hours. No long-term effects. I'm not a monster. Rita, Rita reached into Green's pocket and pulled out his ID card. I could lock you and Tangerine in here, if I wanted. No ID, nobody knowing this happened. You'd slowly starve to death. But I won't do that, because hell, imprisoning people against their will. Kind of a dick move. What kind of person would do something like that? Rita walked to the door, buzzing the lock open and leaving it ajar. I'll be taking my leave now. Rita walked down the corridor carefully, brushing past her crumpled black dress. She slid the card through every reader as she passed, flinging the doors open one by one and checking inside. The first person she saw was Panda Killing Fuck Suck Aoi. I'm here to get you out. Oh, Rita, hurry up then. Invisible spiders gnawed the chains off with acidic venom. All right, where the fuck is Tan? I've got to beat this shit out of that backstabbing asshole. No beating the shit out of anyone, a-hole. They've been taken care of. Next door had the painter sitting behind him, still unconscious with a bloody mouth. Rita looked to asshole. They knew what he'd been planning. They knew what he was a part of. They weren't happy. Asshole grinned. Rita sighed. Well, okay. One punch. That's it. Asshole ran towards the painter, driving her fist into his face and breaking his jaw. He woke up screaming from the pain. Asshole walked out happily and locked the door behind her. The next person they found was Overgang. Rita grinned. Overgang tilted his head. Wait, are we breaking out? Is this a thing we're doing? Yep. Well, no complaints here. The restraints fell. Overgang rubbed his wrist with his hands. They moved as a group to the next door. Annie and Candace were chattering behind. Annie turned to the door as it swung open. Huh. Hey guys, what's up? I'm breaking everyone out. Wanna come? Me as well. It's a bit cramped in here anyway. The chains clanked down. Then they moved past the table and joined the group. They continued operating, opening doors until they found cell number five. Joey, what's wrong? What did they do? Joey Tamlin looked up at the group, his tears slowly drying. I have a sister. The group of them shared a look of confusion, then apprehension. Overgang walked to the front. Yeah, Joey, yeah you did. Tan brought you home one day and told us all to drop the subject. Doesn't take a genius to figure out what happened, and now we know who he is. Now's not the time to talk about it, so we're getting you out. You're coming with us. Asshole shouted from the back. Don't worry, we're going to beat the shit out of him. Don't listen to her, Joey. Beating the shit out of him is up to you. Joey felt the chains loosen and shook them off. 
No. Pain, help me. I don't remember, but by the sounds of it, it's better that way. You gonna be okay, man? Yeah, I'm fine. Let's get out of here. Joey walked out the door and joined the small crowd. The corridor was getting somewhat cramped. Rita walked up to the next door, swinging it open to see an empty room, and the next door, finding the builder squirming against his restraints. He looked up at them, hopeful. The group turned to one another, sharing frowns. The builder shouted in fear. No, wait! Rita slammed the door shut, shaking his head, her head in disbelief. The group walked out to the main door. Our asshole walked over to the gun cabinet, pulling it out and filling the pockets of her jeans with five pistols each. Overgang walked over to the computer. Tangerine was still sitting immobile at the desk. Sorry, Tan, you're in the way. Overgang moved over, moved Tangerine's body to the ground carefully, then sat down and cracked his fingers. Alright, let's see what we're running with. Standard DOS running here. Hey, hey, Joe, you know that game I had messing up last night? Yeah, they've got it on here. Still stuck on your name, I don't know why. Should be funny when they find the anti-piracy, though. Alright, let's wipe some stuff from their database. Overgang continued clacking the keyboard. Asshole had already run up the stairwell with Rita, Candace, and Annie. Joey walked over to Tangerine's body, sitting up against the wall. His eyes were open, but whether he was conscious inside his brain, Joey couldn't tell. Sorry about this, Tan. I know you did it for the right reasons, and you're a good friend. But you're still a spy, man. You've been spying on all of us. It's just not cool, you know. Tangerine remained silent, having no choice in the matter. We're gonna have to move away now, Molly and me. We'll be telling everyone about you. Everyone's gonna know your face, Tan, and when they see it, they'll keep their lips shut and walk away. Thought you were one of us, but you aren't. No half-assing it. My sister, man, I don't even remember her existing. I don't remember a damn thing. Joey pushed Tangerine's body to the side carefully. You fucked us over, Tan. You fucked me over. Joey kicked Tangerine in the stomach. I thought you were one of us. He kicked again. I thought you were an artist. Joey kicked higher, expelling the breath from his lungs. I thought you were cool. Joey went to kick again, but Joey grabbed his arm. We're gone here, Joey. Everything they've got on us is gone. Everything deleted. The records, yeah, but he remembers. Fuck, it doesn't matter. Let's get out of here, Joey. We're done. Overgang walked Joey to the stairwell, leaving, leaving the body lying still in the dimly lit room. Tangerine cried a single tear before passing out from pain. And then, the second of first starts at the end. The second of second trifurcates. The above is split in seven. Lesser's like the whole. Alright. Uh, this is probably, this next one's probably going to be the last one we do for yeah. this episode. Cause and then there's five. four more after that. Yeah. Also, uh, we have a Twitter. Oh, yeah, Discord, Twitter, Discord, yada, yada, yada. Twitter's, um, I don't remember what it is, SC Podcast Show? I think it's SC Podcast. Let me log like into that. Twitter real quick. <laughs> Hold on, I think I'm already logged into it. Uh, at SC Podcast Show. SC Podcast Show, there. Yep, and then the Discord is linked in that, so that's pretty cool. Um... All right, cool. Uh, next one, last one we're doing: disposal and discourse. Um, I'll just I'll just take it away. It's easier that way. Sorry, Carol, forgot something. Hmm? You know, you had to throw a blanket over a dead body. Wouldn't want people to see it and panic. Ah, of course, that's understandable. Ruiz took his coffee back from the bemused barista, dipped it once to check the taste, then down the cup in one gulp. He moved to his regular seat, pulling out his phone and checking for new messages. Grum, Felix, be there in ten. Ruiz sighed, typing a response to Felix. I'm in the coffee shop down the street. He tapped his chin pensively with the phone. So, what are you up to, Ruiz? Carol sat across from Ruiz, the counter unmanned. Well, I'll have to dispose of that body, of course. Can't just keep a blanket over it forever. Then I needed to somehow track down my brother. He knows where I am, so he's got the upper hand at the moment. He likes to play games, though. I imagine he'll send me some kind of formal invitation to some kind of stupid secret lair. He's always had a flair for the dramatic. 
I need to get him to start taking his meds again, since he's almost certainly off of them at the moment. After that, I'm going to scare off a couple of scragglers, and, uh, and I'll have to save the city. A true artistic community can be established, free from the judgment of old farts and every men. I could be able to do something different. I don't know what, but anything's better than this. We're sitting in squalor and stagnation, some too stupid or senile to see the sensibility of severing ties to shit or artist. We need someone to slice away that shit. Shear off the silliness. Perhaps all we need is someone to snip. All right, I get it. Business as usual. Mad artistry, ahoy. Hang on, I've got a customer. Carol stood back up and walked back to the counter, taking an order and preparing a fresh drink. Ruiz sunk into his thoughts. His streams of consciousness twirled within his mind like ethereal dancers, threading innumerable ideas in complex combinations. Like most inartists, he thought pro his thought processes were not entirely coherent, not entirely logical, and not entirely sane. It is said that some have a tenuous grasp on reality. An artist cannot be said to have a grasp on it at all. If we were to use the metaphor of reality as a stick, most an artists throw it away, or snap it into pieces, or set fire to it, or hit things with it, or do anything other than just hold the stick. The mindset was almost childish, and yet it was perhaps the most coherent, logical, and sane reaction to the world. Why would you settle for just holding a stick? Why not make the stick a sword, jump into the world, and make believe? Leap gloriously into escapism. Run headfirst into danger, live without reverence for your own life or that of others. If all the world's a stage, then murder is but removing a side character. The plot is more important than the people. The storyline goes beyond any player. Let the masses die. Let the show go on. Ruiz tapped a small note into his phone. Never hold sticks. Ruiz. Ruiz looked up at Felix, smiling. Felix! Know anyone who can get rid of a corpse? Felix frowned. Yes, I do, I suppose. You killed him, then? Oh, no, I didn't kill him. That's right, he was supposed to kill himself. I forgot. Oh, no, 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 no. That didn't end up happening at all. My brother killed him. Bullet to the head. Felix frowned harder, taking a seat across from Ruiz. He pulled out his phone and started composing a new message. Your brother was busy last night. He had quite a show at the exhibition. What did he do? Something that, that got the suits called them. They mind wipe gas half they mind wipe gas half the city. Can't remember it myself, unfortunately, but my friend had the foresight to wear a gas mask. Filled me in after the fact. Hmm. Felix kept tapping his phone. Ruiz descended into thought. Pico had attracted the attention of suits. Perhaps he was attempting to orchestrate a crackdown? But what was his endgame? What was the reason for killing the critic? Despite Ruiz, perhaps. Ruiz wanted him dead to shatter his control, to swing society into a state of flux. Payback for Red was also a factor. Perhaps Pico was driven by the same thing? If there was method to his madness, he could be reasoned with. So, how is he supposed to die? What? The critic. How are we going to have him kill himself? Oh, a stupid little thing. An electric chair. And how did you intend to get him to pull the switch? I told him that the exhibit was a doomsday machine. You said it wasn't anomalous. No, I didn't. I said it didn't break reality. You'd be surprised at what can be done without exploding. Felix, if you just put a, if you just put a bit of ingenuity behind it. So, how did you make a non-anomalous doomsday machine? I didn't. You didn't? I didn't. But you said. I said I told him that it was a doomsday machine. He then investigated it and believed me. I didn't have to break reality, I just had to convince him that it did. Interesting. Ruiz took a coin from his pocket and spun it on the top of his finger. Consider this, Felix. For hundreds, even thousands of years, mankind has been enamored with the idea of magic, of violating the laws of physics, of bending the world to their will and whimsy. Here we are, able to do the impossible, breaking the rules that God or abstinence force upon us, flipping the finger of the magic man in the sky. That's not how they did it in the old days, Felix. Artistic exploiting is a new fad, comparatively. Do you know how it started? No. Warhol. Most of modern exploiting tools can be traced back to his studios. He was a good salesman, filled his places with demonstrations, played off his popularity. 
And of course, the club shut him down, and he's been underground ever since. Wait, what, so he's still alive? Probably, but I digress. That's not how they did it in the old days, Felix. Magic's been around a lot longer than exploiting has. Not shooting lightning from your hands, of course, just simple illusionism. Ruiz let the coin drop from his finger into his palm, clenched it, and showed Felix his empty hands. See, illusionists prefer to perform the impossible, but do it in a mundane way, and people believe it. They eat it up, and that's something that I respect more than the stuff that most artists pump out. They do the impossible with nothing more than smoke and mirrors. Ruiz pulled the coin from behind Felix's ear. It's more interesting to me, actually. Actually, performing the impossible, when you're someone like us, is boring. Just putting something together that breaks reality is the work of a hack. But if you can get the same effect without doing anything impossible, well, that's much more impressive. See, I could have sent this coin into a little pocket dimension, pushed it in and out of our world, and you couldn't tell the difference between palming it. This is the point that I'm trying to make, and this is where we need to go. The impossible is much more interesting when it's all mundane. Stage magic, street magic, these are the roots that we need to return to. None of it was anomalous, Felix. It was all just smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors? Carefully or orchestrated triggers. It's the same sort of stuff that hypnotists do, and it's brilliant because it's the last thing that you would expect. A critic would fight the impossible. He'd fight drugging or info hazards or mimetic bullshit. The last thing that he would expect, the only thing he couldn't possibly be anticipating, was the mundane. The second he entered that room, the second I approached him and turned around him and spun those blades, the tone of that whirring resonated perfectly. The saw blade I gave him was weighted off-center, and his sensation of gravity moved. I turned the lights on, and they flickered to life in a set order, guiding his eyes so they dart from side to side, which reflexively caused a primal fight-or-flight instinct, flooding his body involuntarily with chemicals, imbalancing him, disorienting him, and then all I need, really needed to do was tell him what he wanted to hear, and he was putty in my hands. He deferred to my guidance like a lamb, and he didn't notice at all. The triumph wasn't even driving him to suicide. It was in controlling him as an audience so completely, so utterly entrancing him that he'd be so entirely under my control that he'd risk his life on the truth of my words. Wowee is not an installation. It was performance art for an audience of one. It was making reality seem unreal to a man who dealt in the impossible. An anti-anartist -an art. Ruiz opened his fist above the table, clattering hundreds of coins onto the floor. That was fucking confusing as shit. <laughs> Alright. Oh, there's a little break. Molly, we've got to go. Hang on, I'm still packing my hats. Forget the hats, we need to leave. Overgang tapped Joe on the shoulder. I've told people to tell other people. SCF's continuing their tour, so they were leaving town anyways. Albeit with three new members. Nitman only came through because we called him up. The Brit's gone back home, and everyone else seems to be disappearing too. We're switching numbers so Tan can't track them. Except Arsol, of course. She doesn't really seem to care. She never really does. She's still coming with us, yeah? Yeah. Sick of living with my parents anyways. Dad's glad to see me gone. Right. Great. Damn, we're finally going nomad. Rita walked through Joey's front door, trundling a wheelie bag behind her. She was wearing a schoolgirl outfit with a plaid green skirt. All packed and ready to go, guys. Joey patted her on the head. You look like a real schoolgirl. I am a real schoolgirl, Joey. Of course you are. Figured it all out with your folks? Yep, I'm just going over to my friend's house for the night. They'll panic, but they'll get over it. Probably. Joey and Overgang shared a concerned look. You sure you want to do this, Rita? You think sticking with Mommy and Dad is going to stop them from stealing me away in the middle of the night? Yeah, fair point. We've got to go, Molly. Hurry up. Still packing hats. Overgang snorted. Seriously, how many hats does she need? She's only got one head. Rita, how many hats have you packed? Four. Well, seven if you count tiny decorative hats. Damn. What's with girls in hats? How many pairs of those sunglasses have you packed, OG? Overgang awkwardly readjusted his signature shades. Twelve. Twelve pairs of sunglasses. I'd even packed one, one pair. Yeah, well, I haven't packed a hat. Joey interjected. Well, the two of you can borrow hats or shades or panties from each other once we get a move on. All right, I'm coming. 
Molly ran down the stairwell, having two, heaving two bulging suitcases in her arms. A long red feather bow was draped around her floral dress, braided hair making her a perfect mix of hippie and bohemian. Joey took one of the suitcases from her as she reached the ground. You must be Rita, right? Yep, Molly. Yep, nice to meet you. The pair shook hands, then Molly turned to Joey and Overgang. You boys need to learn some patience. Never rush a lady. Overgang rubbed his nut guiltily. All right, all right. Who's driving? Joey. <laughs> no, he's not. Give me the keys. Rita smiled as the four of them walked outside of the waiting van. Leaving school, moving away, going out into the great big world for the first time. Making things that meant something, enacting change where change could be enacted. Finding people who really understood them. Constantly on the run from heavily armed men in black. It would be just like her all her family road trips. Only interesting. Oh yes, Rita thought as she hopped in the back seat. This was going to be fun. Let's in the break. Your friend's taking a while. Probably just busy. Nothing stopping us from just waiting. Felix sat watching Ruiz solve a Rubik's Cube. So where exactly is the body? Ruiz carelessly gestured to the blanket-covered corpse on the other end of the room. Felix stood up and walked over to it, carefully pulling down the top to reveal the critic's still-shocked face, eyes still wide in shock. Felix, clo Felix closed the body's eyelids and looked up at the broken skylight. So he shot from up there? Yep. Where's the glass? The floor should be covered. I cleaned it up. That stuff's dangerous. Wouldn't want someone to step on it. Re Felix rolled his eyes, gesturing in the room, or around the room with death traps. Ruiz didn't notice, still engrossed in the cube. The critic's hat still sat on his head, a flawless circular hole punched perfectly through the front. Felix went to buck it off, then hesitated. Felix. Felix wanted to face the tall, masked figure at the entryway. Ruiz looked up from his cube and was struck with an instant sense of awe and confusion. The janitor's dark trench coat dangled for down its legs, billowing around without a breeze. It glanced around, silently appraising the room. Ruiz looked straight into the janitor's darkened eye holes. His pupils widened, his tongue felt as dry and rough as sandpaper, his lugs felt like they were on fire, and his extremities felt cold and numb. For the first time in his life, Ruiz felt deep, soul-crushing fear. Well, that or love. He never felt either before, and from what he heard, the two seemed very similar. Here was the being that would deliver him from his conundrum, the instrument of salvation, the supplier of the critic's last rites. Ruiz blurted out the one thing he knew, from an artistic perspective, was objectively true. You're beautiful. Ruiz stood and walked to the janitor, grinning dumbly while offering the completed Rubik's Cube. The janitor cocked his head to one, size, uh, to one side, as if confused, and took the cube and placed it inside an inner trench coat pocket. A heavily, a heavily obscured, almost mechanical voice buzzed from the diaphragm of the gas mask, and yet Ruiz understood every word. You bring me order where once there was chaos. My thanks. Ruiz's grin widened even more, stunned in the silence. Felix interjected. The body's over here, janitor. The janitor turned and walked down over to the covered body. He carefully removed the blanket, folded it, folded it, and laid it down to the ground near the seat. He moved his hand into the body's pockets, checking for anything important. He removed a wallet. When opened, it was not simply empty, but brand new. The cardboard inserts still keeping its shape flat. The janitor placed it on top of the blanket. It turned to Felix, asking for reassurance. I am to remove the body, then. If it's not too trouble. Sorry about, well, you know him better than I did. I knew him not better or worse. I knew what he was, and only that. The janitor turned to the body, moving his gloved hands across the clothes, continuing to search for hidden possessions. It stood, then turned to Felix and Ruiz. Avert your eyes. This will be brief. The pair of them turned away, then heard the janitor click its fingers. Ruiz heard the sound of crunching bones, squelching flesh, cracking flames, and running water. And then, in the next instant, it was gone. It is complete. Ruiz turned around. around. The body was gone, as were the clothes, blanket, and wallet. The janitor was crouched over the chair. All that remained of the critic was his gray fedora, sitting immobile where the body had once sat. I cannot remove the hat. Ruiz widened his eyes, surprised that anything was beyond the capabilities of the math giant. Why not? I am not allowed to. 
Is that all, Felix? The janitor stopped, stood and spun to face the man. I think it should be, yes. Many thanks. I am in your debt, as always. Be prepared to follow through on that. I may collect sooner than you think. Felix chuckles as the janitor briskly walked out the door. Ruiz continues to stare at the gray fedora. Another break. Sam! Tim? The sculptor ran to the composer's office, interrupting his work at a synth bank. We fucked up, Sam. Temper's gone rogue. Fucked everything. I fucked everyone last night. Suits everywhere and fuck. You don't want to know what's happened, man. It was bad. She's pulled Bob and Rob out, so they're gone. Felix buggered off. Sandy's in the hospital still, and Critic won't answer his fucking phone. Fuck. So it's you and me, then? Me and you. <laughs> Not quite. The sculptor moved towards the composer, driving a deep knife deep into his neck. The composer's eyes widened in shock. His mouth, his ma- he moved his mouth to scream, only coughing up blood. Shh, don't try to talk. Whatever you're going to say was probably as stupid as a derivative of your shitty little excuses for songs. The composer mouthed silently, eyes rolling up into his head. It's all part of the plan, Sam, don't worry. We didn't fuck up. You did. I executed this shit fucking flawlessly. Yeah, yeah, I was the one who gave Sandy that play. I pinned it on Ruiz. I sent those lazy fucker Bobs and Robbo in and got them caught. My trace on Felix is still working. Then Critic's dead, too. Leaving me to be the king of the hill. After some housekeeping, of course. That asshole Ruiz made a move before I could. Simper reckons he was first into, into the sub, subterfuge game. Those upstart little twats almost screwed me out of a well-planned coop. Still, had you all fooled to the end. I'm the last one standing. The way it was always meant to be. The sculptor pulled the knife from the composer's throat, letting his body drop to the floor. He flicked blood and viscera from the blade and carefully placed it back in his pocket. I was here first, you fucks. I did it first. I was the one who got this shit started. You have the fucking nerve to make me one of many? doesn't work like that. It will never work like that. I'm above you. Compared to what I've done, you're nothing. You get me? You get me? The corpse remained silent. The sculptor laughed madly, then abruptly stopped, angrily glaring at the gaping neck wound. That's what I fucking thought. The sculptor walked out of the room, leaving Sam's body to bleed out, rot, and be forgotten. The third of one is dawn of war. The third of two is the second strike. The third of three is the last straw. Escalation and a knife. Fucking Christ. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Alright. Uh, next one is called Snip from the Same Cloth, I'd... which we'll start on. Yeah, next time. Uh, next time. Um, yeah, man. Good lord. Yeah, this is just a lot. Something's gonna happen. It's just like... Dude, I feel like every episode is just, like, more shit that we just, like, have to process. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's just so many things that happen where you're just like, oh, word? Okay. Uh, alright, well, I guess we're dealing with this now. Oh, my god. Alright, well, hopefully next episode we'll finish it. Um, We'll see, though. It seems like... Oh, never mind. I was gonna say it seems like all they're shorter... Don't don't but say things. Two of them, two of them are extremely long. So, this may be a five parter. This may be a six parter. We shall see. We'll see. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this ends. Because this is so fucking much. This, we've dude. This we've been reading this over the course of like two months. God. Yeah. <laughs> like I probably more than that actually. But yeah. God damn. All right. Well, uh, until the next episode, we will see you all then. Hope you all are excited to finish this with us. Indeed. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see how this fucking goes. Goodbye. This shit's crazy.
All right. Have a good one. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.